Well, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we are going to have our final message on the series, Forged, how God actually brings about a transforming faith, and he does so through adversity. And have you ever just realized that problems are just part of being people? I mean, we all face problems, and some of us are like, really good at pointing out problems. I mean, we could almost get like an honorary degree to saying like, oh, that's a, definitely a problem. Trouble over there. That's really going to be a big issue. We're, we're good at pointing those things out. Um, some people are actually very good at instigating problems and don't look at anybody or point at anybody, but uh, some folks are like, just they just have a knack, you know, just to create a little chaos, a little trouble. If things seem to be too still or calm, they know how to stir the waters. But I want you to know, Every one of us faces problems. Now, some problems, they're kind of innocuous. It's just not a big deal. They're just like irritants in life. But some problems are deeply painful. Some of them can almost be debilitating. And we face them in a variety of arenas. Sometimes when we think of problems, we think of like physical problems, health issues. Something is wrong with our body cancer, some undescribed illness, things aren't working right, something has changed. Some of these sicknesses can last for a long period of time. And then, of course, there's problems that we can have emotionally. Sadness. Uh, we, we feel like the world is caving in. There's inexplicable responses and things that are going on inside us that we simply can't explain. And then there's relational problems. I mean, every significant relationship is going to have trouble. Marriages, with your children, extended family, coworkers, folks at church, people in your neighborhood, people across the street. You're going to, at times, experience problems. And some of these can be significant when you're feeling like you're drained and discouraged and you come across these difficult relational dynamics you might even have that going on right now where there's there's some folks that you're not even talking anymore. I mean, it's just kind of like a breakdown. Divorce. Separation. All sorts of anxiety and issues that come from those kind of problems. And then, of course, there can be financial problems where you just, you don't have enough paycheck to meet all your bills. You are constantly just not having seemingly enough for the expenses that you're facing. And that, that can be compounded and complicated with, with a family and you're trying to provide. And then we're living in a pandemic. We could say we have a pandemic of problems that are occurring. This dreaded virus and its effects and how it's taken the lives of so many people around the world, not to mention just the economic havoc, how things around the world have been completely changed by a a virus, microscopic, we can't even see. I want you to know that for me personally, I've had my host of struggles and problems. Certainly you have just the normal irritants and problems of life. Like I was talking with a guy that just moved in and across the street from me, and he was telling me about a new problem that he discovered in his yard, and we were just like, yep, that's life. You just always have problems. And they're little ones, you know, like the sprinkler head breaking, but some problems are much more significant than that. And for me personally, some of my problems, they're, they've been self-inflicted. I've brought them on. 
I didn't handle a situation well. I spoke when I shouldn't have. I should have been quiet. Or I said things that uh, were harmful. Some of my problems that I've had to endure that have been very painful have been inflicted by others. And they've been in all areas. You know, I've had some health issues, certainly some emotional, relational challenges. They, they exist. I mean, you can't be married and have four kids and not have, like, family drama at times. And some of it's just kind of typical, but sometimes it can be very difficult. And family challenges, you know, like a, a daughter going through cancer or some you know, significant issues that are hitting your family that are almost like too difficult to even try to put your mind around. And you face these, and they can have such a huge effect upon your life. And I'm sure that all of us have faced these kind of challenges. In fact, you probably have them now, these painful problems. And you start asking the question like, what in the world is going on? Why, God? Would you allow this to happen? Why me? Why am I going through this? What's the point? This doesn't make any sense. Life would be so much better. I could be so much more effective. Life would be much more happier if I just didn't have these things. What is the purpose in our painful problems? Well, if you have never really taken a deep dive and grasped the transforming truth of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, I want to care to venture that life is leaving you disappointed, maybe disgusted, depressed. And if you don't actually grasp and start living out the truths that are found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, these painful problems are going to have a deadening effect on your life. What is the purpose of our painful problems. That's what I'd like to talk about today because this will be transformative once we can really grasp this. Now, I'll give you a little background of what's taking place in the book of 2 Corinthians, a New Testament book that is, is often not times really looked at very closely or read thoroughly or even preached on. So let me give you a little background of what's taking place. When you come to the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul is basically uh, defending his apostolic authority He is under direct personal attack. You see, what had happened is in the church in Corinth, which he had actually founded and helped get started, there had been some new teachers. They were false teachers. They had impressive resumes. They were flashy. They were very good speakers. They were persuasive. They had the ability of creating like a personality cult to get people drawn to them as an individual. And it would be subtle. They'd mix truth with air. And Paul was under their attack. They were just kind of like point by point, basically chipping away at him, trying to remove people away from the apostolic authority of God's word and the foundation of Jesus Christ and moving it on to themselves. And so Paul felt compelled by the spirit that he had to point by point show them the air of their ways to not let this church go off track, which leads us to chapter 12, which is a profoundly personal chapter. Because in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul speaks of this vision God gave him from heaven. That's what you find in verses 1 through 6. And then in verses 7 through 10, you see this problem that God gave Paul on earth. And if you want to know what is the purpose of our painful problems, well, in verses 7 and 8, 
we're going to see. It is to keep us from the perils of pride. Let's take a look. Verse 7, it says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Great privilege does not exempt you from great difficulties. Paul had been given this amazing vision. You can find it recorded there in verse uh, 2, where he, he's speaking of that he actually was taken to the third heaven. You're like, whoa, what's the third heaven? Well, the first heaven is kind of the atmosphere, all right? Clouds, sky, rain, right? The second heaven is the universe, all of the stars, planets. The third heaven is the home or the abode of God. And Paul was taken to heaven, and he actually witnessed and saw and heard things that were inexpressible. It was a tremendous privilege. And you're asking, well, why would God do that for the Apostle Paul? And I think it's because Paul needed this heavenly vision in order to be the man who God would use to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and all the hardships and the agony that he would face on the earth. He could go back to this heavenly vision of seeing how it all ends up and the glories of eternity. And this vision that God gave him, which was highly unique, would be used to encourage his heart in life's most difficult days on earth. In fact, he said it was surpra- they were surpassingly great, these revelations. And I want you to know that with such great privilege can come pride. You'll find that. I mean, if you're a person that's been given great privilege, you've got exceptional gifting. You've been given great resources. The temptation is always pride. And what pride does, arrogance, it leads to a a self-sufficiency. You don't need God so much, even though he's the one who has given all these things to you. And so Paul said, you know, to keep me from exalting myself, to keep me from the perils of pride, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. What is this thorn in the flesh? I'm sure you've heard it. It's even part of our vernacular. Ah, this is the thorn in my flesh. But what what was it? Well, there's a wide variety of views as to what this thorn in the flesh is. Some people think, well, this was some sort of physical malady. Anything from bad eyesight to malaria, intestinal issues, uh, some sort of heart problem. Um, he, He had some sort of physical impediment, whether he couldn't speak well Maybe he couldn't hear well, he couldn't see, but it was, it was something physical. It was this thorn in the flesh. And then some say, well, it may have been emotional or psychological or spiritual. Perhaps he faced great bouts of depression that left him debilitating. I mean, you see that. He actually even writes that God who comforts the depressed in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, some think that perhaps there was some sort of major issue that he was facing, like a temptation that just kind of wore him down, this thorn in the flesh. And then there's others that say, well, actually, it was a personal attack. Some think that these are personal attacks that are taking place within the church. Some think that it was personal attacks from people outside the church. What is this thorn in the flesh? In fact, notice what he refers to it as. He says, it is this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. 
Although we can't be absolutely positive, I'll tell you what I think. I think that this thorn in the flesh was a person. It could have been a group of people. And I'll tell you why. First, he says, it is a messenger of Satan. The Greek word there is angelos. That word is used 186 times in the Greek New Testament. 179 times, it speaks of angels. The rest, it refers to human messengers. So he says, thorn in the flesh. It is this, this messenger, angelos, from Satan. And furthermore, um, the Israelites, the Jewish people, would refer to, and you find this in the Old Testament, that those personal people that were in, uh, persecuting them or creating great hardship, they referred to as thorns. And also, notice what he said, is he said that in the, in the context of chapters 10 through 13, what is he dealing with? He's dealing with adversaries, people that are tearing him apart and seeking, sinking their tentacles into the church and beginning to shred it. So all the context, everything he's been talking about are about these false teachers, these false apostles, these false prophets. They all speak of it. And furthermore, he said, this messenger of Satan to torment me, that word torment always, it speaks of beating or buffeting, and it always speaks of some ill treatment from other people. All of this leads me to conclude that this particular thorn in the flesh for Paul were these false teachers. These that were just just completely decimating the church and that were attacking him. And just like God allowed Satan to do work that created pain and difficulty and hardship to accomplish God's overall plan, just like we see that in the book of Job, so we see it in Paul's life. God permitted it Satan implemented it. It shows you the greatness of God's sovereignty, that he can even allow Satan to exercise that which is evil, painful, difficult, to accomplish his greater good. It expands your vision and understanding of who God is and just how powerful he works. God permitted it, and God controls even evil. And the reason was this, to keep me from exalting myself, You see, uh, this assault was painful, but I want you to know it was purposeful. It was to keep Paul from the perils of pride. I mean, it's kind of like you see with uh, Joseph and his brothers. Remember how that all ends in Genesis chapter 50? Joseph told his brothers this, listen, all the bad things you did to me, it it was just evil. Genesis 50 verse 20. Joseph said this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And so what we find here is that Paul is explaining the reason for this thorn in the flesh. It was to keep me from exalting myself. You see, the Corinthians, you know what they valued? They valued flash, success, They didn't understand that God works through weakness. And so I want you to know, to see how deeply hurting this was, this thorn in the flesh. And and don't get the idea it was something little. The word thorn could actually be translated stake. This isn't some small problem. This drove into the core of his being. That's why in verse 8, 
Paul writes, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Anything is a blessing that leads us to prayer. This thorn in the flesh had created great debilitating responses in his life. You've experienced it. If you've had some sort of great difficulty that is in your life, haven't you noticed how it just physically drains you? Emotionally, you just kind of become incapacitated. It's almost like you're, you're kind of just like a vapor. Like intellectually, you can feel like you're starting to even just kind of lose your mind and your ability to, to think clearly. It's as if life just kind of closes in. When you've got something deeply painful, these, some of these problems in our life, they just they create great havoc in us. They're, it's inexplicable. We can't sleep. Uh, some of us can't stay awake. We can't function very well. There's all sorts of pain and sort of difficulty that we're feeling. If you've ever been betrayed by someone close to you, or you've been slandered, or someone has once again introduced a libel and kind of spread it around, and it's, it's directly attacking you, you know firsthand how debilitating a thorn, a stake can be. And Paul says, you know what? I implored the Lord three times. Doesn't that remind you of Jesus? Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Right before he's apprehended and goes to the cross, do you remember that he's in the garden and he took his disciples? Yeah, he said, listen, I need you to be praying. Did you know it says in Mark that three different times he had gone away to pray while his disciples fell asleep? And do you know what Jesus was praying? Father, if there's any way possible to remove this cup, this cup of suffering, let it be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Paul, in that exact same pattern, he says three different times, I just pleaded with the Lord, would you remove this thorn, this stake that seemingly is tearing me up deep within me? And I want you to know that God does answer our prayers. Sometimes it's yes. It's, it's actually to do what we've asked. Oh, God, would you do this? But I want you to know sometimes God answers our prayers with no. Why would that be? What is the purpose in our painful problems? Well, one, it is to keep us from the perils of pride. And that's what we find here. Paul said, I, I've come to understand that God gave me this thorn in this flesh to keep me from exalting myself. But let me give you another purpose in our painful problems, and that is to keep us growing in God's grace. Look at verse 9. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. It's interesting. What Paul heard in heaven he said, I can't express that to you. But what God told Paul on earth, he actually communicates to us and what an encouragement is to us. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. The riches of relationship with me, that which is undeserved, my provisions for your need, grace, undeserved, my grace is sufficient for you. And 
that word is sufficient is a present tense word, meaning it is always sufficient. It's just not a one time, well, God gave me grace at this one particular period in my life or at point, but actually God continues to give me grace. Grace upon grace, every time I come to him, turn to him, I need him, he provides for me, God gives grace. And I want you to know that your life changes when you begin to see your adversity in a new way. What what you need to do is you need to, and this is what I have found, and I have to kind of keep learning this lesson, I've got to leave the unknowns with God. There's things that I just can't explain. I'd like them to go away. I've prayed about them. Ask God to deal with it. We need to leave the unknowns with God. And although we cannot choose our circumstances, we can always choose our response to them. You see, faith chooses to trust God. That's what faith does. Faith does not require that I understand everything. Sometimes we think like, well, I just have to understand everything and then I'm going to be able to move forward. It doesn't work that way. We have to trust God, take him at his word, believe in him, even when it doesn't make sense. Even at times where we might not even sense his presence. My grace, my supply, my provisions, my presence, it is enough for you. For why? He says, for power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weaknesses. I mean, how how does that work? Because let me give you the the most common responses to these stakes, these thorns in our flesh. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with them. I am. Let me give you the most common responses. One is just to basically be bitter and blame God. And, and it just, it contorts you. It shows up on your face, your demeanor. It's how you live. Another is just to give up. And you see this with some people. It's just like, uh, that's it. And maybe you've seen it in yourself. It's just like, I, I, I can't even move forward. I think I'm just going to like lay down here in my backyard. It, it's just, I'm done. Or another one is just to like, you know what? I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm going to grind my way through it. And yet you find that that particular approach just leaves you completely worn out, wiped out. The only way you and I can move from surviving, and I'm talking like barely surviving, to thriving, is when we're growing in God's grace. That is one of the purposes of the painful problems that we face, is to grow in God's grace. You see, That's what Paul is experiencing. And I want you to know the Christian experience, it's like peaks and valleys. You got high points and you got troughs. And and that's how it works. And I want you to know that God does some of his greatest work in the low times and the valleys and the troughs. I want you to know that some of God's special servants seem to go through rather extended periods of times of great difficulty, deep thorns, they're, from people that are observing it, they're just like, whoa, how do you even make it? What's going on? What's happening in those individuals' lives is they're growing in God's grace. They're learning to depend upon him. And you see, our struggle in our weaknesses 
is meant to keep us dependent upon Christ. God will provide the grace. That's why he says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I will I'll actually boast about the fact that I've got issues. I've got problems. I even have this stake, this thorn. I, I'll boast about that because you know why? Because that's where God's power is manifested. And notice what he refers to it. He says that Christ may dwell in me. That is the reality of what it means to be a Christian, is that Christ actually dwells in our hearts by faith. It's not that you follow a code of conduct. conduct, You've adopted certain values. Well, that's what makes me a Christian. You show up at a church, or you've got a Bible, or you're born into a Christian family. No, it's that you have a living relationship where Jesus Christ actually dwells in me. And that word dwell, it, it means to tabernacle or to put a tent over. And it's kind of like Paul is using that Old Testament imagery of the the tabernacle in which God's glory then came in and was shining forth. What he's saying is like, hey, I want the power of Christ to dwell in me. My body's got issues. I can't see. I can't walk very well. Um, People mock me because of what I look like. I've got not only physical issues. I've got emotional issues. I've got struggles. I've got depression every once in a while. And yet... I want you to know that the power of Christ's presence dwells in me. And you know what? That means everything to me. That changes everything. So that's why I'm going to boast about my weaknesses, he says in verse 10, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You see, when we're growing in God's grace, it changes our perspective on the problems that we face. That's why he writes here in verse 10. Therefore, I'm well content with weakness and weaknesses, physical and natural qualifications, the frailty of human existence. I'm content with insults, maltreatment, damage and harm and injury caused by the offensive acts and the disrespectful statements made by others. I am well content with even distresses, trouble, and pressure, with persecutions, harassment, and oppression, literally could be translated being hunted down, and even difficulties, all my hardships. It's not because Paul was a masochist, but because, listen to what he says, when I experience these for Christ's sake, a man, I'm committed to him and walking with him and living for him, I face these difficulties and these challenges I want you to know, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul is doing is he's restating the paradoxical nature of Christian living and ministry. You see, when we're helpless and we're vulnerable, then Christ's power and his strength is manifested in us. And that is how Paul operated I mean, especially with the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, he said, listen to this. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things to shame the strong. He later went on in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, I came to you in weakness. You and I, we're attracted to strength and like, oh, this gal or guy has got it all figured out. And look, just like how smooth and cool they are. That, we're, we're enamored by those things. We want to be like that. It's all about image and like, wow, how cool this is. But God, 
He does his work through weakness, humility, those that are clinging and growing in his grace. And I want you to know the problems that we face, they actually have a purpose in our life. You know, over the years, I've met some people that are very bitter and angry at God. Some of them say that they're Christians, and they are, or they likely are, but they're mad. And they want God to give them an explanation for this great problem, this pain, this difficulty in their life. And I want you to know that God did not give Paul an explanation. He's praying even like three times, God, remove this. God did not give him an explanation. What did God give Paul? He gave him a promise. My grace is sufficient for you. It will always be sufficient for you. You and I, we don't really live by explanations. We live by faith in God's promises. You see, promises generate faith, and faith actually strengthens hope, and that's what Paul had learned. I don't have answers why I'm facing this. I want it to go away, but I have learned this. The problems that I'm facing are meant for me to grow in God's grace and how wonderful it is. In fact, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I want you to know God didn't change Paul's situation by removing the problem. You know how he changed it? By adding grace. I'm not taking this from you. God is saying, I am seeing you through this. My supply, the riches of relationship with me, we're going to make it. You trust me. I'm doing my work in you and through you. And I want you to know that when we start seeing life like this, this changes how we pray. What happens is we'll start asking, God, what do you want me to learn from this? How, how do you want me to respond? How to live? You know, like Romans 8, 28, we, we've, we hear this verse. Some of us have got it memorized. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. But it's only when you're growing in grace that you really believe that. And you're like, well, what is that purpose? Hey, what's that really good thing? Verse 29, chapter 8, tells us, so that you and I become more like Jesus. And it only happens through the pain of our problems. You see, we need to become more dependent upon God's grace. And when we do, we see life differently. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you'll recall him the, this great German Christian who even went to a Nazi prison camp, and they executed him right before the end of the war. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, We must form our estimate of men less from their achievements and failures and more from their sufferings. That's how we need to really see people, through their sufferings. And that gives us a whole better understanding of them. Like Warren Wiersbe said this, In the loving will of God, suffering has a purpose that can be fulfilled in no other way. Accept it, and it'll become a heavenly blessing. Fight it, and it will become a heavy burden 
You see, the purpose of our problems is to know the power of Christ's presence. And I want you to know that this is a process. This isn't kind of a one and done. I want you to know transformation takes time, patience, slow progress. It's like a tree. It, it grows slowly over time, and it has its seasons. And God generally doesn't take our problems away. What he does is he gives us his grace. He gives us himself, and he sees us through them. But I want you to know, even in the midst of this, even knowing this and even trusting God's grace, it can be heavy lifting at times. So don't get thrown off. It's difficult. Even some of the most mature saints among us go through some pretty deep valleys. And because we're human, we're people, it's going to wear us out at times. But God's grace is sufficient. In fact, Paul said, you know, I've learned this, that when I'm weak, then I am strong. You know, if you don't learn how to really rely and come to God honestly and with humility for grace, you're already starting to end up bitter and angry and mad at the world. This isn't what you want to become. And I can assure you that's not what God is seeking to form and fashioning you. He's looking to bring his grace to bear in your life where you look a lot like Jesus with joy, with true character, integrity, heart, ministry. That's what's happening. And I want you to know the transformation that comes from our painful problems. I started just kind of like listing some things that I've seen in my own life. I'm a work in progress, but I want you to know that what happens is that we develop a greater reliance upon Christ. We get a greater realization of his presence in a deeply personal way, like Jesus really does become our dearest friend, our loving Lord and leader. We grow in a greater understanding and appreciation for who God is and the character that he shapes and forms in us. Um, We gain wisdom. We actually understand that God may be preparing me for some future work that I don't even know. And we don't know sometimes when we're going through this. God does this by bringing about painful problems that lead to a greater compassion for the hurting. And we lead to helping others. I mean, don't you find that? You go through some difficult problem, guess what? All of a sudden, you are very sensitive to others who are going through problems like that. God brings a greater vitality in worship. You know, like when you come to these worship services and what happens, you got some folks and, you know, and their life is falling apart and you know that and they're worshiping the Lord from the heart. Sometimes they even have tears in their eyes. It's not about necessarily emotional expression so much as that there is a depth and vitality of worship. And that comes from going through these painful problems. And the other thing it does, it makes you long for eternity to just be with him. You start looking for the second coming of Jesus a lot more when you go through painful problems. You see, the purpose of our problems is to know the power of Christ's presence. There is this Australian by the name of Nick uh, Vujicic, and I, I want you to know, I, am, I just keep growing in my respect and admiration of this man. Uh, he was born with tetraamelia syndrome. It's a rare genetic disorder. Nick has no arms or legs, although he has these two small feet that are attached to his torso. And growing up, he struggled immensely, emotionally and physically, to accept his condition. But today, he's a follower of Christ. He's an evangelist. He's a motivational speaker. He says he's living the ridiculously good life. And in his speeches, he speaks of the courage to overcome this disability. 
and the bullying, and it was horrendous that he faced in all these growing up years and, and the effect that it had upon him. And then he speaks of his life and his determination and the inspiration and what God has provided for him. And I want you to know he's an inspiration to thousands and thousands of people. In his book, Limitless, he writes this. When I'm asked, how can I claim a ridiculously good life when I have no arms or legs? People assume I'm suffering from what I lack. They inspect my body and wonder, how could I possibly live my life, give my life to God who allowed me to be born without limbs? Others have attempted to soothe me by saying that God has all the answers. And then when I'm in heaven, I will find out his intentions. Instead, I choose to live by what the Bible says, which is that God is the answer today, yesterday, and always. When people read about my life or witness me living it, they're prone to congratulate me for being victorious over my disabilities. I tell them that my victory came in surrender. It comes every day when I acknowledge that I can't do this on my own. So I say to God, I give it to you. Once I yielded, the Lord took my pain and turned it into something good. And he goes on to write, he gave my life meaning when no one and nothing else could provide it. And if God can take someone like me, someone without arms and legs, and use me as his hands and feet, he can use anybody. It's not about ability. The only thing God needs from you is a willing heart. You see, God displays his greatness through our weaknesses, powers perfected in weakness. You see, the purpose of our problems is so that we will know the power of Christ's presence. And I want you to know that brokenness leads us to the gospel. The only path to the heart of God is humility. You see, brokenness, that's our life. And until you're broken over your sin, until you're like, nothing in my hand I bring simply to your cross, I cling. Until you're at that point, you're still walking in self-sufficiency. You might be religious. You could even call yourself a Christian. No, you got to come to a place where like, God, I am a miserable sinner. I have walked completely in violation of who you are. I've done my own thing, my own way. I'm a sinner by nature and I repent and I trust in your salvation and in your son Jesus Christ. Until you're at that point, absolute desperation, there are no other alternatives. It's Jesus Christ and Christ alone. You're still walking on the path of self-sufficiency. And yet, you see, pride of, the pride of self-sufficiency, it keeps us from the Savior. The gospel is that God brings compassion, love, forgiveness, hope, healing, eternity for those who are broken before him. And it all comes through Jesus, who truly is the wounded healer, the sacrificial lamb who is alive and seated on the throne in heaven. This is God. It's brokenness that brings us to him. So friends, I want you to know, you and I have to have the proper perspective on the trouble and the trials we face. It is at the cornerstone of Christian living. And that means we need to ask questions like this. We have to stop and ask the Lord 
Would you help me to see how your grace can be sufficient in this situation? And then ask this. Ask the Lord to enable you to experience the power of Christ in the midst of our weaknesses. We need to do this, otherwise we're going to keep going back on the path of distress and despair. We can't control the things that are outside us and are outside of our ability to do so. But what we can do is we can control our response and go back to this passage, go back to God. Alyssa Morgan, the president emeritus of MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers International, for 20 years she was the president. Years ago in an article that she uh, wrote for Christian Parenting Today, she wrote this, and I, I want you to listen carefully what she said. I'm probably the least likely person to head a mothering organization. I grew up in a broken home. My parents were divorced when I was five. My older sister, younger brother, and I were raised by my alcoholic mother. While my mother meant well, truly she did. Most of my memories are of my mothering her rather than her mothering me. Alcohol altered her love, turning it into something that wasn't love. I remember her weaving down the hall of our ranch home in Houston, Texas. Glass of scotch in hand, she would wake me at 2 a.m. just to make sure I was asleep. I would wake her at 7 a.m. to try to get her off to work. Sure, there were good times like Christmas and birthdays, when she went all out and celebrated us as children. But even those days ended with the warped glow of alcohol. What she did right was lost in what she did wrong. Ten years ago, when I was asked to consider leading Mops International, a vital ministry that nurtures mothers, I went straight to my knees and then to my therapist's office. How could God use me? who had never been mothered to nurture other mothers. And the answer came as I gazed in the eyes of other moms around me and saw their needs mirroring my own. And God seemed to take away, take my deficits and make them my offering. My grace is sufficient for you, she wrote. For power, my power, is made perfect in weakness. So friends, remember the purpose of our problems so that we will know the power of Christ's presence. Let's pray. Lord, here we are, and you know all about our problems. You are actively at work in them. And we have not, may have not seen that or ever accepted that, but God, we have seen from this passage that you are seeking to keep us from the perils of pride and to have us grow in the goodness of your grace. So, Lord, would that be our reality? God, would you continue to have us fix our eyes upon Jesus? And for someone who is here today who has never truly ever placed their faith in you, God, would they just pray with me right now, wherever they're at, Lord, forgive me. I repent. Release me. Fill me. Guide me. Help me to know your love in profound ways. And so, Lord, we pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Grant. What a great set of verses we covered this morning. 
I would just encourage you, these are refrigerator verses, or these are verses to put on an index card or to put on the screensaver on your phone or your computer, whether it's Genesis 50:20 or Romans 8:28, or these verses from 2 Corinthians 12. These are verses how they help us make it through the day, a normal day or a time like this, like Grant said, when we have a pandemic of problems. So I hope you were encouraged by God's word. That's one of its chief Ames. So we're glad you're here. Glad you joined us this morning online. And if you've joined us for the first time today or really any time over these past couple months, obviously we can't get connected yet in normal ways or we would invite you back to our welcome center to meet some people and get information, but you can go online. So if you go to our website, just fellowshipwaco.org and click on a button there that says connect to fellowship, that will enable you to connect with us. You can ask questions, get more information. You can send in prayer requests. And that allows us still in these times to be able to connect with you more and invite you in. So we have several next steps to, to bring before you this morning to make sure everybody knows things that are going on all the way from kids on up to adults. So tune in and we're going to go through these one at a time. First, we want to let you know that today is Promotion Sunday. You might not have even known that, but kids, all kids got promoted up at grade level effective today. So our kids and student ministries are impacted by this. So parents you will be getting an email from the appropriate student ministry uh, leader or kids ministry leader to you telling you what is changing and what's coming down the pike for your kids. And this communication is especially important for those who are graduating into kindergarten, taking that step up, or going into live wires, which is fifth grade, or then also moving into junior high or high school. So you'll be getting an email just letting you know uh, what, what is coming down the pike next. And of course, we are looking forward to when we're able to all get back together again and join in together in these appropriate groups. Student ministries. We have details for student ministries. That's our junior high and high school for Iron Nights. Iron Nights kick off this Wednesday night, June 10th at 7 o'clock. So it goes from 7 to 9 o'clock, and we'll be gathering together, both junior high and high school gathering together uh, at Woodway Park as a big group, but then going separate and separating into groups for both junior high and for high school. And we want you to know that this includes incoming 7th graders, so welcome incoming 7th graders, and it still includes seniors that just graduated. So everybody can get together as a big group and then breaking into their appropriate groups. And we're going through a great transformative series called Fighting Sin. So if you have any questions, would like more information, just contact our student ministry director, Nathan Blattman. All right, now it's adults. Adults, we know that almost all of us have probably had travel plans, vacation plans interrupted during this time. So guess what? We are now as a church, we're just going to reach out to you and offer you the cheapest vacation of your lifetime. You can travel with us to wild places. Yes, you can go with us to Egypt, to Jordan, Israel. Your eyes will experience and your ears will hear how God is good and how he nurtures and shapes his people in extraordinary circumstances and very difficult and extraordinary times. So this is a seven-week online video tour. We were going to take everybody there personally, but the pandemic prevented that. So this will be an online video tour for seven weeks. And really what it's geared toward is just to gain a deeper understanding and love of the Bible, discovering new scriptural insights, and of course being reminded of God's love for us and his plan for our life like we just heard about today. So that study begins for adults uh, this Wednesday night, June 10th. It's for men and women, 7 o'clock to 8.30, and we will be doing this in a large group and small group format over Zoom. So yes, it is a Zoom meeting, but we'll all be together in different ways, both again as a large group and then breaking into our small groups still on Zoom. And you know what? The youth have been doing this for a couple of months, so if the youth can do it, we can do it too, 
right? We'll find out Wednesday night. Join us. And so also, though, it's not just for adults. It's also for adults, and then there are kids. So our kids' ministry is packaging the same online study as an option for parents to do with their children, just in your home, on your own time. Uh, That same tour video will be made available for families to go online and guide you through crafts for all seven weeks. So our kids ministry team has actually put together family packets that include the materials and the crafts that you will need. All you have to do is come by and pick them up. So today, Sunday, from 2 to 4, out under the portacache out front, you can pick up those, um, those packets. And also on Tuesday, from 11 to 1, swing by the church and pick them up. And you can sign up for both the adult study as well as the family study, or both. Those sign-ups are online. We just want to know who is registered, and it is free of charge. All right. Well, if you weren't aware or haven't seen the link yet, our vision guide, our third vision guide was released uh, on Friday. And we are so excited about this because our big news on this vision guide is that our, we are finally able to announce that our plan is to resume in-person worship Sunday, June 21st. So in two weeks, assuming that things continue to track along as they are, uh, we will be reintroducing in-person worship on the 21st. So of course, lots more details will come and the entire vision guide addresses that as well as what ministry highlights have taken place the past couple weeks and still what other items are going forward with small groups and group sizes. And so find the vision guide either in your email from the connection or you can go on our website and find it there. And as always, um, elders, leadership are still thinking through, praying through lots of decisions of what need to, need to take, needs to take place for these coming weeks. So we would invite you to join us in prayer for just how to bring about this next step of ministry as we are able to hopefully re-engage together. Well, as Grant mentioned in his online um, elder devotional this past week, uh, we are emphasizing and calling us as a church to be a people of prayer. So if you're thinking, what online devotional? Well, go to our website. You can find that. We, those, these past videos that we've been hosting as elders for the past several weeks are all there. But this particular one dealt with the fact that obviously we're living through some extraordinary and unprecedented times, both with this pandemic as well as with the civil unrest that is taking place. And so we really want to seek wisdom from God on how to listen intently, how to love exceptionally, how to think with discernment. So showing Christ's love And giving the reason for the hope that we have in Christ calls us to be a people of prayer. That's really the only way this is going to happen. So along those lines, beginning next Sunday, June 14th, we're going to take a a step and a closer look at how Jesus brings transformation in and through those who are eagerly trusting in him. We're starting a new sermon series called Kingdom Living in a Broken World. Kingdom Living in a Broken World. It seems pretty appropriate, doesn't it? So we invite you to join us for that starting next Sunday. That's still going to be live streaming. And then again, we're hoping to join together in a couple weeks in person. We'll still have live streaming then. So until then, remember that God is good. He's sovereign. He's in control. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Have a blessed week.